0: You've probably seen a camera angle like this in a movie or a TV show at some point. It's called a bird's eye view or God's eye view. And sometimes we'll see it in such a way where the, the prior camera angle will be a perspective between two people. And then all of a sudden it will just shift. And what was eye to eye becomes overhead. This is the closest approximation I could come up with to describe to you. Two experiences that have happened to me in the last six months. One was right over here on the corner of Gordon Drive and Route 100 is about 630 at night. And I was driving over here to the school for one of our small groups. And I was stopped at the light, my little Honda Fit right there, just being myself, you know, looking forward to what was going to happen this evening. And all of a sudden, I mean, my body and my senses did not take leave of me, but my perspective radically shifted and it was as if instead of looking out through the front of my car my perspective had shifted to where i was looking in at myself sitting there and then it panned further out and panned further out and panned further out almost to where it was almost like i was i was featured in like a a google map satellite And I have to tell you, it left me both in the experience and then for about a half hour after it was finished. This only took about two or three minutes. With a total sense of peace and bliss and connectedness. Now, perhaps some of you are thinking to yourself, Ken, exactly what is in that water you're drinking today? (laughs) And perhaps some of you are thinking, yeah, I get exactly what you're talking about. I've experienced something similar myself. The point, however, is that stuff like this happens, but it's really not the point. It's not the end product or it's not the goal we want to reach in a fully developed spiritual life. Uh, some of you might know what Kundalini Yoga is. Maybe some of you have done Kundalini Yoga. Uh, kundalini Yoga involves um, a, a lot of kind of breath locks and breath holds and repeated movements, and it helps to transform perspective. Indeed, it is like an experience of, if you will, getting high without doing drugs, as I have experienced it. And at the same time, a responsible kundalini yoga teacher will perhaps say these words. Don't look to get high during this, because sometimes we call kundalini kundaluni and... When people come to it with this expectation that they're supposed to be something else than what they are, you can get hooked into that and it can become another form of addiction. The altered states are not ends in themselves. They're pointers They're pointers, hopefully, back to this life, back to growing our hearts, back to deeper compassion, back to connecting more deeply with ourselves and with other people, rather than away, elsewhere, up, up, and away, beyond, transcending all the troubles of our lives, getting beyond our average, ordinary, everyday stuff. But getting above and beyond and away ultimately really can't be transformative because most of us live our lives in the middle of this common, everyday stuff. How I experience could be Kundalini. It could be that moment at Gordon in 100. I kind of experience it as the outer, most fruitful edge of my ongoing practice. Which every day is about sitting down, shutting up, showing up, and breathing. And noticing what arises. And somehow, I'm not in control of it. Somehow, what happens... Or what is happening is that I feel more awake, more aware, more loving, more beloved, and more compassionate. As the great song says, I once was lost and now I'm found, was blind and now I see. That's what the fruits are really all about. Not about just seeing differently, but seeing with a growing heart. And I have to admit... When I shared this story with you of this transformed, weird shift, wonderful shift in perspective, I was at a little bit of a risk. Or I felt I was taking a little bit of a risk because I didn't want to be confused with certain, you know, spiritual teachers or kind of "quote unquote" spiritual uh, folks who, who become associated with something like this. Any of you know who J.P. Sears is? He has a wonderful social media presence in which he makes, as a parody, intentionally real, all of the spiritual materialism, all of the narcissism that can go for, look at me, spirituality. So he posts this photo, and it comes with this little tagline, Doing yoga on this jagged rock in a dangerous location was so relaxing. And he's got this word where everything is, this language, this way of talking, where everything is just so peaceful. And he's fine. The rest of you are all screwed up, but he's great. And so he will say something like this. When other people want a lot, they're just being greedy. When I want a lot, I'm being abundant because I'm spiritual. <laughs> Hashtag ultra spiritual. <laughs> what he's saying is this is not the way it's supposed to work. The way that I'm experiencing this in my life, these fruits of ongoing practice always unfolding. Something similar to what a Zen teacher hundreds of years ago, a teacher named Dogen said. He said that this path, he was talking about the Zen path, although I think it's true for any path. Any path that opens the heart. This path is to study the self and to study the self is to forget the self. And to forget the self is to be actualized, enlightened by all things, by any things. This path is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to open up the possibility of being enlightened by all things. So, you know, Dogen lived like he had a biography. He had a bunch of biographers. When he say the self goes away, it's not like you and I are not here. Like I'm here. You can pinch yourself. You're not dreaming. At least we don't think we are. This forgetting of self that he's talking about is not like we disappear. But that something shifts the barriers, the borders we put up within ourselves, against ourselves, the barriers, the borders we put up between ourselves, against ourselves that make life something like a war. This paradox kind of shifts things. And we find that, as we say here at one of our core beliefs, at Wellsprings, the burning bush is blazing everywhere, that this life is not settled. This life is not finished. This is the best news of our tradition of Unitarian Universalism and Progressive Spirituality, that the universe is not done with any of us yet. Not me, not you, not anyone, not anything. The universe is not done with us yet. And that we are capable, much more capable than sometimes we think we are, of resilience and change and giving birth over and over and over again to this awakening heart. This heart that connects us with others, connects us with ourselves, and connects us with life. This, I think, is the very core idea that Reverend Lee and I have been talking about these last six weeks in this message series about committing to self-care. Which is that the burning bush is blazing everywhere in our lives and we are not done yet. And that the response to this is to treat ourselves with preciousness. The response to this is remember how precious we are. That our lives are not product. They are process. And in becoming less noun, less thing, more verb, more flow we grow and this life ends up benefiting just as we do i find this to be a liberating message any day of the year but i also find it especially liberating
1: on this mother's day
0: which you know isn't an easy holiday for many of us if it is easy for you that is wonderful I mean that from the bottom of my heart. If this holiday is uh, easy for you to take, to give from, that's wonderful. But for many of us, it's also a mixed blessing. There's sadness. There's loss. There might be regret in here as well. Maybe even some anger. I remember on this Mother's Day, these lines from the great psychiatrist Carl Jung, He said, one of the greatest burdens a child must bear is the unlived life of their parents. One of the greatest burdens a child must bear is the unlived life of their parents. Not because upbringing is destiny, but because upbringing can cast a shadow. Recently, I was reading uh, the person who is, you know, if I had a root teacher, you know, to use that language, if I had a core teacher closest to my heart, it's Tara Brock. And Tara Brock is both a psychotherapist and a mindfulness teacher. And she works at that intersection of psyche and soul and spirit that is just such a fruitful, rich place to be. She tells a story about working with a young woman named Jane who had spent decades of her life numbing out, just just being gray inside of herself because the pain of her life was too much to bear, and so she spent most of her time elsewhere not being in touch. And Jane, in working with Tara, was just coming into this place of starting to move carefully, delicately into places of great pain. And she remembers one story Jane told Tara when she was seven years old. And was at that place, you know, where sometimes the, the world gets its claws into us <laughs> and kind of diminishes our light. Well, she had this like long, flowing, Rapunzel-like blonde hair all the way down her back. And she used to dance around and pretend she was a princess. But her mother, who clearly is in a place of of of, of great kind of heartful shut-in or shut-down, said it, it's, too much, it's too much energy to have to take care of this hair every day. I don't want to do it anymore. You don't want to do it anymore. So she took Jane, literally kicking and screaming and crying, to the barbershop where all of it was cut out and cut off. Jane hadn't remembered this story in years And she felt the pain of it. She felt the loss of it. But something even more happened in caring for herself and attending and befriending, as Torah says, her own pain. She even opened up to the pain of remembering who her mother was and how unhappy her mother was and what it was like when her parents' marriage fell apart and her dad left and how her mom became dried up in her inner life, how she became rigid. Upbringing, I think it's especially important to remember yesterday, but any day isn't destiny. And that Jane and all of us in learning to care for ourselves move beyond isolation, move beyond being stuck. And that story I shared with you in the beginning about my own little change of perspective, some of the fruits of my ongoing spiritual life and development, that's a story of what's classically known as ecstasy having absolutely nothing at all to do with the drug. Ecstasy means ecstasy, standing outside of our perspective. And very often what happens in ecstasy is that we recognize that we're not stuck anymore. That life continues to grow and we continue to grow and our lives continue to flourish because stasis itself, this is what happens to our little bunny rabbits when our pet bunny rabbits, when they don't get anything to eat after 12 hours, their systems go into stasis. They shut down ecstasis this standing outside of ourselves admitting we are not stuck we are not a product to be defended we're a process to be given permission to grow this is the foundation of this message series we've been doing these last six weeks which is that it is so much easier for us to give permission to ourselves if we conceive ourselves and experience ourselves as a process not done not fixed not final but ongoing more verb than noun more flow than solid it's why i've come to um The realization, and I didn't have this realization at the beginning of this message series, so thank you for teaching me. Thank you for offering me this opportunity to grow. I actually think the phrase self-care is really weak watered down tea. (laughs) I mean, there are really good self-care practices that I hope all of us engage in to a certain extent. But I think what self-care really rests on is something deeper than just a set of practices or ways, methods to treat ourselves. I think it's based on something much more radical, which is this. It's recognition of how precious we already are, how precious you are, how precious I am, how precious this life is. It's bigger than any one practice, and I would say any practice that partakes of that can be a beautiful practice of care and love. For me, the place where I go to the well every single day. It's embodied mindfulness. I mean, I lived most of my life, most of my life, as if you're familiar with this phrase, you know, the Cartesian dualism, I think, therefore, I am. That is hell, my friends. I tell you this because I lived as a walking Cartesian dualism in which I was all up in my head all the time and totally disconnected from all the rest of this stuff, all of this goodness, all of this stuff that connects me to me and you in this life. So, yeah, I'm a recovering, walking Cartesian dualism, which is why embodied mindfulness helps wake me up and wake my heart up and wake my life up. But you know what? It may not be your thing. This embodied mindfulness may be art. It may be nature. It may be poetry. It may be running. It may be just today getting out. And yes, oh, thank God, there's sun out today. (laughs) And just making yourself like a cat on a windowsill just soaking it in for a minute. Maybe we can remember in that minute how many other millions of people are just doing something like this, feeling the sun in their face and the earth that we walk on and this ground that we share and we recognize that true self-care is not a zero sum game. It recognizes all this space that we share on this earth, all this breath that we share that gives life to us all. And it is absolutely true in my experience that. The people who are most committed to self-care, to recognizing their preciousness, these are the least lonely people I know. Nothing has made my heart less lonely and more connected than caring for the preciousness that I already am. I've seen this over and over again in other people's lives, that life doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. And then it can be profoundly transformative. I remember that on this Mother's Day and the hearts and the flowers and the cards are wonderful. And if your day involves that, that's beautiful. I love all the, the temporary uh, Facebook photos people are putting up and all the remembrances of, you know, yeah, the kids, you know, like burn the toast and burn the bacon and the eggs were undercooked. But I loved getting the breakfast this morning. You know, if that's part of your day, that's lovely. And that there's a deeper history to Mother's Day that includes this but also points beyond it. Some of you might know the name Julia Ward Howe. She was a Unitarian in the 1800s. She was born into a world in which she had, properly speaking, no rights at all under the law. She recognized that her existence, it was not right, but this is how it was defined. It was defined only by her reference to who the men in her life were. And she claimed for herself this innate capacity that all waking up involves of recognizing her preciousness and that she partook of the same rights and responsibilities as every other single human being alive. And that itself in the mid-1800s would have been enough of a radical move, right? Questioning the norms and the values that held her down and so many others in the society. And for Julie Ward, Howe, this was just the beginning of an awakening because she was part of issuing something that you may or may not know about called the Mother's Day Proclamation. In which she called the women and the mothers and indeed all people the world over to rise up in mourning and resistance against all the systems of brutality that sent their children off to wars to die and die and die. See, there is an innate connection between recognizing our own preciousness and recognizing the preciousness of each and every person. Now, Julia Ward Howe had a particular influence there, and she also wrote the Battle Hymn of the Republic, as you might know as well too. You know, but the self-care can be really transformative just in the everyday stuff. Just in the commonplace stuff. Just in the stuff, you know, we're all gonna partake of today. That we do every day. I think all of you kinda know this guy here, right? Mr. Rogers. The guy seated next to him is Officer Clemens, who some of you might remember, whose real name was Francois Clemens. Now, what they're doing in this photo, and this was the last day that they ever shot of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood together. This was in 1993, and they are reenacting something that happened a quarter century before in the late 60s in 1969. See, Francois Clemens Before he was Officer Clemens, he knew Fred Rogers from their sharing in religious community together. And Fred Rogers approached him. He said, would you be Officer Clemens? Would you be the police officer in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood? And Francois Clemens said, I don't think so. See, Francois Clemens grew up in a neighborhood in which the police were not experienced as friendly, in which they were experienced as oppressive. And he said, this is not my experience. I don't know if I can do this. And Fred Rogers, probably doing that beautiful, gentle Fred Rogers thing, encouraged me, said, "I, I think you can make a lot of change. You could be important in you inhabiting this role. And eventually he said yes. What this picture refers to is that day in the summer of 1969, which was really, really hot on the set when they were shooting the show. And during a break in the shooting of the show, Fred Rogers brought out this you know, cheap little plastic backyard pool and he put his feet in it because he was really, really hot. And he wanted to cool himself down. And Fred Rogers invited... Francois Clemens, as Francois Clemens tells this story, to come over and join him. Put your feet in the water with me. And Francois Clemens did not know what to say. Because the world that Francois Clemens grew up in, black men and white men, did not put their feet in the same water together. Francois Clemens describes this as one of the signature acts of kindness, of transforming his own heart. I mean, remember, this is 1969. This is just four years after official American apartheid ended with the rule of law. This was not something that Francois Clemens saw done. And then after they had cooled their feet down, Fred Rogers did one more thing. He toweled off Francois Clemens' feet. For many of us, myself included, um, I wouldn't have put it when I was five years old in this way, but Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was one of those places where I started to get a sense of that core universalist belief that there is a love so special that we do not need to be at all special to be loved. Mr. Rogers, who shared with so many of us, and not just him, but the world that he helped to create, this expression of caring, caring. And tenderness that in caring for ourselves, I mean, what is he doing other than self-care? I'm hung and put my feet in this bath, but he recognized come and join me as well, my friend. When we do take care of ourselves in this beautiful way, recognizing our own preciousness, when we invite ourselves to be at home, it is so much more likely that we will invite others to be as home at well. And so, yes, we even in these small acts oppose systems that deny our innate belovedness, our innate blessing. I do not believe that self-care is just about or should not be just about, you know, we're coming into summer and maybe you've got a weekend coming off or you've got a weekend coming off or you've got a place where you're going for a week or a couple weeks. Or maybe you get a lot of time off. I don't know what your schedules are. But self-care is not just about that time off. if It is going to be truly transformative. Self-care is about where we stand right now. The ground we stand on right now, the ground everyone else stands on right now. And we recognize in the preciousness of this moment and awakening to it that all these creatures share this life with us. And yet somehow miraculously isn't miraculously isn't incredible that we're here. This is the root of self-care. I think if we're not treating ourselves preciously, all the self-care techniques in the world and all the self-help books we buy won't be worth anything unless they are fed from the root and the tap spring of our innate preciousness. And yes, I do recall also on this day, which for me is a day of mixed blessing, a day of sadness, a day when I remember my own mom who died too young and too early. And I received this blessing just yesterday from one of you all or my Facebook friends. These words from Thich Nhat Hanh, we quote from every single week here at Wellsprings. Each time my feet touched the earth, I knew my mother was there with me. I knew this body was not mine alone, but a living continuation of my mother and of all my ancestors. These feet that I saw as my feet were actually our feet. Together, my mother and I were leaving the footprints and the damp soil. As another teacher says, we are all just walking each other home. We walk each other home when we recognize and remember our preciousness. If we might put this first this way of being, this way of being alive, we would not treat ourselves and we would not treat each other as disposably as we do. We would make it true what all the songs and all the scriptures point to, which is that love can be restored to its proper place as both the root and the fruit of this life. And that life and love matters. And that in a totally non sentimental but absolutely transformative way, love wins. In the end, this care, this preciousness, it is all about hospitality, of making room in the heart, the mind, and with each breath for ourselves who matter, for you who matter, and for all life that matters. All of us. So precious. Amen. May you live in blessing. Would you pray with me? Breathing in and breathing out. Each breath a potential for renewal. Each breath taking in the possibility of new life. Each breath a new moment. Each breath. Do it with me now. A gift. And each outflow. Flow, each a return to the larger gift from which it comes. That this life is never finished. Never final. This life is not stasis. It is flow. Our bodies teach us this. Our teachers teach us this. This universe not done with us. Each in breath. To be received as a gift. Taken with gratitude. Each out breath. An offer of love to be given as a blessing. Amen.